Amen. Last week we kicked off this series, Summer of Love, and uh, I was trying to redeem the name Summer of Love, you know, from where it came from. And then Jerry Circle, you came up to me today, bless your heart. I got to get that picture so I can take a picture of it and put it up on a slide for next week so everybody can enjoy it. But I got to see a picture of Joe back in the Summer of Love days. All right, I'm not talking about the sermon series, Summer of Love. I'm talking about, how many of you remember the Summer of Love, all right? Now, the purpose of this is not to celebrate that, but to redeem it, okay? Because that was not a Summer of Love, and most of you are grateful. Most of you, the fact that you're sitting here today, uh, you're grateful that God delivered you from, uh, from those times and places. But I like what is set up there. What if Jesus has given us the greatest solution to transforming not only the problems of our neighborhood, but the problems of our world has been right under our nose all along. And so last week, we introduced you to this whole idea of loving your neighbor. And I want to go back to our text once again. If you got your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen, I want to look at Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 29. And this morning, I want to talk about seeing our neighborhoods and our neighbors through the eyes of of Jesus. All right, look at verse 25 with me, Luke chapter 10. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right, good job. He's praising him for giving a good answer. But he says this, do this. Not just talk about it, but do this and you will live. And the man, the Bible says, wanted to justify his actions. And so he asked Jesus this technical question on language and definitions. Who is my neighbor? And we said last week, Jesus launched into the parable uh, of the Good Samaritan. And you all know that parable, and he laid out the, the answer to that question. A good neighbor is the person who responds with mercy and compassion to the needs of those people who are around them. Now, I want you to notice, just by way of review, this man gave a right answer. When Jesus takes the, all the commandments of God and all the Pharisees' commands that they added on top, he boils this all down into one commandment. Uh, and that commandment is to love God with everything in us and then to love our neighbor. And this man should have at that point realized that the answer to the question, how do you inherit eternal life, was actually standing right in front of him and looking him in the face. We talked about it last week. How many of you in this room have ever loved God perfectly with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Okay, I don't think so. And there, there, none of us have ever done that, have we? How many of you in this room have ever loved your neighbor in the way that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself? You love your neighbor perfectly, anybody? No, and the point is, Jesus is saying, you just gave the right answer on how to inherit eternal life. Love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly. Oh, none of us qualify for that. This man should have fallen on his face and cried out for Christ. He should have cried out for a Savior, for a Messiah. But he didn't. He was just trying to trip Jesus up. His heart motives were impure. And he did the thing that most attorneys like to do. They take, they fight over the definition of words. This man was a religious expert. He was a, a legal expert of, of the Mosaic law. And he's fighting over the term neighbor. Who is my neighbor? 
And we introduced something radical last week that maybe the neighbor that Jesus is talking about is not the neighbor in the general sense of the whole world, but maybe Jesus is actually talking about why don't you focus on loving the person right next to you? Why don't you focus on loving the person that lives in the house next door, the person across the street, and not the metaphorical neighbor, but the real neighbor, the real flesh and blood neighbor? And so we brought out a couple of important points that I just want to highlight by way of review very quickly. First of all, Christ's great commandment has to become our great commitment. Now, I want to drive this home. If Jesus took the entire law of Moses and the prophets and he boiled it down into one commandment, how many think we should really pay attention to that one commandment? I mean, I'm a simple guy. Most guys are simple people. All right, I'm speaking for all the men out here. We're pretty simple creatures. Just tell me what to do. All right. Thank God that we don't have to deal with 1,600 specific commandments to figure out if we're living right with God. Let's just, Jesus says, let me help you guys. This is the gospel for dummies we shared last week, all right? What, what does God want from us? Here, here it is. Love me. I'm speaking on God's behalf. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, everything that, that's in you, love me with that. Okay, Lord, I got it up here now. Help me do it. Help me live this. All right, what else? And love your neighbor in the same way that you love you, the way that you take care of you, the way that you take care of your needs. Love your neighbor that way. Ah, okay, now we understand what the, the vision. Now, how many of you know we just need help to do it? So, but, but here's the point. The, the weightiness of what Jesus shared has got to fall on our shoulders with, with, with greater weightiness on us. In other words, if Jesus said we need to love na- our neighbor as ourselves, how many you know we really have to take this seriously? Like, that's why I love the fact that, Andrew, you, you know, you guys did a great job. You said, oh, pastor shared that verse, the great commandment. Now we have to do something about it. Boom, man, you're already acting on it. I've heard a number of people already that have taken out. In fact, how many of you did anything? I'm not, this is not a quiz. Not a test, but how many of you this week did something intentional out of the ordinary based upon that commandment to reach out to any of your neighbors? Anybody? All right. Great job. Great job. I want to keep asking you every week because I I believe not only do we need to obey God's word, but I believe we're going to see great things begin to happen as we act on God's word. So first of all, make Christ's great commandment our great commitment. Secondly, this is so important. Our love for God will naturally spill over to our love for people who are made in the image of God. I loved Andrew's candidness, all right, his genuineness. Why is it that we don't want to reach out and love our neighbors? Because we don't want to. Because we don't like them. Or we don't care about them. And we just don't care to know. I'm not going to have a show of hands on that one, but it struck home, did it not? That many times it's just like, I got my own stuff. I got my own family. I got my own kids. I got my own issues. Why in the world would I want to go across the street and see if my neighbor has problems? I got enough of my own. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We have these little, we have these little compartments of compassion and or little time periods where we are compassionate. But if somebody bumps into that little bubble, many times we're like, ah, I just don't want to deal with this. I got enough stuff I got to deal with. So we stay busy, 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 busy. But here's the point. The issue isn't our neighbor at that point. The issue is I need to love God more. Because when I'm loving God more, my neighbor gets loved, all right? It's an overflow of my heart. How many of you know this is true? When your heart is full, it's easy to love other people. When your heart is empty or you're so busy you don't even have time to spend with the Lord, then then we run on empty and we don't have much compassion for other people. 
We shared last week our goal should be to know people, to love people, and then to serve people. Know them, love them, serve them. And one of our maxims here around this ministry, a little pithy statement we like to say here is at Livingstone, we want to enjoy God and we want to love people. If you will major on enjoying God, loving people will become much easier for all of us. So let's make sure we do that. And then lastly, this was so important, we want to be intentional about looking for ways to demonstrate Christ's love to our actual neighbor. You know, Jesus didn't, didn't just tell us, go out and love the world. That would have been really hard to do. Actually, it would have been easier because, hey, I'm going to love the world, whatever that means. But he actually said, love your neighbor, which means we need to know that person. They have a face. They, we have, they have an address. They have certain interests. And last week, I gave you one of these. In fact, you can pick them up at the Welcome Center if you were gone last week. But the goal was to identify yourself right there. That's you. That's your house. That's where you live. And identify eight people that are in direct vicinity to where you live, all right? In other words, your neighbors. Some of you live in an apartment complex. You got people above you. You got people below you. You got people on both sides. Um, some of you live in the country. You have to drive for a while to find your neighbor. Some people live on a busy, uh, you know, block and you got neighbors all around you. And maybe your neighborhood doesn't look exactly like this, but the point was begin to identify the names of neighbors so that you take the time to introduce yourself. Now, we, Marion and I did this this week. She was out for a walk with Ronnie and Kara walking downtown. There's a neighbor all the way at the end of our street that we had not met yet, and they happened to be outside in the yard. Well, she jumped on it. She took the opportunity. She went out of her way. She walked in the yard, shook their hand, introduced ourselves. I had a neighbor that's brand new across the street to this direction that I had never taken the time to go and meet. I was intentional about it this week. I went across. He was killing, killing something in his yard with his little uh, Roundup bottle. And, uh, and I went and I just introduced myself and said hey to him. The point was we were being intentional about it, largely because I'm asking you to be intentional about it. And I want to practice what I preach. So we said not only do we want to know their name, we want to know relevant information like, okay, how, what size family do you have? What are your interests? What, what are your challenges? And then even some in-depth information. What are your dreams? What are the things you're dealing with right now? For the whole purpose being that if I can know you, I can love you better, and I can understand how I can serve you better in Jesus' name. And so that was our idea, our challenge from last week. I said when when the world is our neighbor, we end up loving no one. But when we have a specific neighbor that we're targeting, it's much easier to love them. So here's the challenge for this week. I, I want us to begin to see our neighbors and our neighborhood through the eyes of Jesus. We shared a verse last week, and I'm not going to go there, but it's Acts 17, 26 and 27. It's a powerful verse about the sovereignty of God. It basically says God, God allows nations to rise and nations to fall. He determines the boundaries of nations, not us. It looks like we're doing it, but we're simply agents of his providential plan, which simply means this. Where you live right now, you're living not by accident, but by providential choice of God Almighty. God has placed you in your neighborhood right now. You might think, no, I bought that house because we love the color of the shutters and that beautiful tree in the front yard. That's just what you think is why you're there. How many of you believe you're on assignment from God, that your life has no accidents, that your steps are ordered of the Lord, and that God wants you to uniquely impact the people right around you? Um, You're literally on assignment. You're on mission. I love what it says. This this is Romans 16, verse 5. Paul's talking about a, a dear friend of his, Eponidas. 
And he says this about Eponinus. He said he was the first person or the first fruits from the province of Asia. In other words, that brother right there was, was one of the first believers in his neighborhood, I'm paraphrasing, to come to know Christ. Now, I, I wanted to get you guys thinking last week. It was a very practical, practical message that perhaps are you one of the only believers or maybe the only believer living currently in your neighborhood? Are there other Christians there? I don't know. But we should find that out, should we not? Because the point is this. You may be a, a, a beachhead of life and light that God has planted in your neighborhood for the purpose of reaching all those people around you. Have you ever thought about that? The people God has strategically placed around you need what you have. And as we shared last week, we need what they have. It's, a, it's an interdependence. But many people can bless you with a lot of things, but if they don't know Christ, they can't bless you with the gift of life. We have the ability to bless our neighbors with Jesus and with hope and with life. And I'm just saying we need to be more intentional about that. Part of the problem in seeing our neighborhood through the eyes of Jesus is we lack as Andrew pointed out, we lack relational connection. I think one of the best metaphors for our time are, are these wonderful stickers that people are putting on the back of their vans right now. If we can go to that next slide. Now, I'm not, I'm not minimizing those. I think they're actually cute, all right? I like, I like to drive behind people and see what kind of a family configuration they got going on. You can look at that one. We got the mom and the dad. We got a whole bunch of kids. We got, it looks like some, even some twins there at the end, although I don't know. And then it looks like we got a couple cats. And is that a dog or a pot-bellied pig? I can't tell from here <laughs> what that is. But the point is, how many of you know that's the that's our knowledge level of most of our neighbors is what we see on the back of their minivan because they just pull by and they pull in and we're like, oh, cool. They got a couple of cats evidently, but you've never met the cats. You don't know the cats by name. You don't, you don't know stick figure number five. You don't, I mean, uh, the point is we can't love stick figures very well. We have to put some flesh on the bones, do we not? We have to, we have to fill those stick figures out with real life people that we've taken the time to get to know and love. Now, when you look around your neighborhood, what do you see? Let me give you some examples. Maybe the yard across the street is in serious need of some help. There's knee high grass. There's, there's trees that need pruning. There's, I mean, it's just an absolute disaster. All right. And, uh, and you're going, what in the world is going on there? And so what do you do? You're, you're so irritated. You pick up the, the phone and you call code enforcement, right? You're going to call the city of Crown Point or wherever city you live in. And you're going to say, Hey, these people at 7-Eleven, whatever, they're an embarrassment to our neighborhood or whatever Christian thing that you say, right? Um, and so maybe, maybe your answer is, well, government's going to fix this problem. Or how about the next door house where you're hearing the loud music and the smell of marijuana coming out from the windows on a nightly basis? And you think, you know what, I'm going to call the cops because the police will take care of this problem, right? It's the policeman's job to stop whatever's going on in that house that I don't like. Or how about this one? Maybe there's a family down the street. They don't speak English very well. That You notice they have a few kids, but you don't really see the kids going to school. You wonder if there's a situation of neglect or what's going on in that house. And so you pick up the phone. You call the school district because you want the school district to come fix this problem and to, and to be the neighbor. The problem in all these scenarios is we're looking for an organization or an institution to do what God's called us to do. 
And the problem is we're not being very good neighbors. We're just wanting to fix whatever the nuisance or the problem is that seems to be bothering us. You know what? When we're not good neighbors, there's some consequences that are not so good. The first consequence, I'm hitting this quickly, is isolation. I think a huge problem in America today is we have a lot of people that are becoming more and more isolated even in their own homes and communities. We just don't know one another. A lot of people are lonely. A lot of people don't have anybody to spend holidays with or spend time with or do much of anything with. They're very isolated and lonely. People go to work, they push that button, the door goes up, they go in, the door comes down. You don't see them. The next day it's the same routine. Uh, And uh, there are all too many neighborhoods where people are both working so hard just to pay for the house that they just bought that you don't see them either because they're always working and always gone. Second thing we deal with when when we're not good neighbors is we deal with fear. How many of you know whatever is unknown to us causes us to be afraid? So if we don't know the neighbors across the street and we don't know why the grass is growing high, we automatically, because we're fallen, we automatically assume the worst. And so when we don't know our neighbors and they don't know us, we automatically go to the default bad position, negative position. There's got to be something bad or evil or wrong going on with the neighbors. Which leads me to my third point. When there's isolation, when there's fear, there's also misunderstanding. You know, how about you look at the house and you see all the weeds growing up and the house is in disrepair. There's a couple broken down cars in the front that have been sitting on the street forever and you're wondering what is going on. So you pick up the phone, you make that call to the police department uh, and, uh, or the code enforcement and then all of a sudden you're out talking to your neighbor on this side of, of, of you and they begin sharing this following scenario with you. You find out that the woman who lives in that home lives alone you find out that her mother has cancer. You find out that she had to stop working to care for her mother. And she's been by her mom's bedside 24 hours a day for the past few months. How many of you wish you would not have called code enforcement? How many of you wish at that moment you would have taken the time to be a neighbor? Because at that moment you realize, you know what? There's a reason why this dear woman uh, is doing what she's doing, and there's a reason why her house has fallen into disrepair. And maybe, just maybe, God would call on me to do something about it, to love her and to help her, instead of just trying to get the city or the police or the school district or whatever else to come in and fix our problems. You know, in the year 2001 in the city of Chicago, there was a house that went on the auction block due to back taxes. And as I was reading about this scenario, uh, I found out that that was not so unusual. There's actually about 50,000 properties in the Chicagoland area that go on up for auction because of failure to pay taxes or mortgage or whatever uh, that are repossessed. Um, But here's the scenario. When these new owners that bought this property, of course, the house was in complete disrepair. The yard looked like the yard I was describing. Uh, But when they entered the house, what they found was that the house was not abandoned, as they suspected. They entered the living room, and they found the decomposed remains of the owner, who was a reclusive elderly man by the name of Adolf Steck. Evidently, this man had died of natural causes while he was sitting in the recliner in his living room. He had a newspaper by his side, and when the authorities went over to inspect the the remains, they looked at the newspaper and found that the date on the newspaper was four years old. This man had been dead for four years, and the sad thing is, nobody knew about it. Nobody cared about it. 
he had no friends. He had no one that was checking up on him. And he passed away right there in that chair, and nobody even knew about it till four years later. Now, let me just say this. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, we feel badly in these kinds of situations, as we should, but there's always two sides to the coin, right? Um, this man was a person who was difficult to love. Uh, when his neighbors tried to talk to him, he was very abrupt with them, sometimes didn't even acknowledge them. He was a recluse. He was socially awkward. He cared for his privacy more than conversation. And sometimes people just choose to move on. But how many of you know everybody has a story? And if you take the time to dig into people's stories, you begin to understand them a lot better. You know, I appreciate Andrew's honesty about saying, you know what, I'm an introvert. I I came to this country. Imagine coming to this country as a foreigner. You can't speak the language. You're going to school, and uh, people make fun of you, and you experience rejection all the time. I mean, you know, you wouldn't probably want to interact with people very much, would you? This man, Adolf Steck, has an interesting background. He was from Poland. He was one of three children who grew up in an extremely poor family. And at the tender age of 12, he began working with his father on the family farm. Two years later, the Germans invaded Poland, and Adolf was one of two million Poles sent to Germany and forced to work even as a young boy. Here's the sad part. This was the last time he ever saw his parents and two sisters. In 1951, he moved to Chicago. He never married. And the rest of his life, this is interesting, talk about how our early experiences shape us. He lived off of cabbage and potatoes. That's all he ate while he lived here in the United States. And when I read about his background, it drove home the fact, again, that every one of us has a story. Every one of our neighbors has a story. Every one of us has a story that helps explain who we are and why we act the way that we act. Now, maybe, you know, if you take the time to learn people's names and to get involved in their lives and hear a little bit of their story, uh, it can have a profound impact. Now, this is interesting. This lady, as I was reading the article, she says, One day about four years ago, I said hello across the yard, but I never saw him again. She said the grass in his yard got as high as two feet tall. So for two or three years, she says, this neighbor says, I mowed his yard too. How many know that's a good neighbor? But this is what her, this is what her reasoning was. I didn't want the neighborhood to go to pot. How many of you know that's the wrong reason? It's not about the neighborhood, it's about the neighbor in the hood. Are you hearing the difference? It's not about the neighborhood, it's not about the property values, it's not about making your yard look good, it's about understanding what's going on in the lives of our neighbors, people for whom Jesus Christ died and gave his life, and people that he commanded us to love as ourselves. That's the issue. Now, on your way out today, and I'm wrapping up, on your way out today, we have... For everybody who owns a refrigerator, or if you don't own a refrigerator, if you have any metal in your house, we'll actually let you have one. All right, this is a magnet. It's supposed to stick to things. That's not must not be metal. Anyway, uh, this is a magnet. And I actually saw this when I was out visiting my son Ronnie and his wife Kara. This was stuck to their refrigerator, and they shared that someone had come to their church and and shared about the art of neighboring, which is a book uh, which I'm basing a lot of this material for this sermon off of. But this was stuck to Ronnie's refrigerator, and it simply says, who's my neighbor? It's that little thing I handed out last week. 
I would love to give one to everybody in, in this room today that will stick this on your refrigerator as a reminder that you're going to consciously be over the next six or eight weeks as we're ramping up for summer, you're going to consciously be engaging your neighbors for the purpose of knowing them, loving them, and serving them in the name of Jesus. Amen? Now, let me end with this. The pastor who God used to kind of birth this concept or idea from uh, was a pastor in the Denver area. And what happened is they got a bunch of pastors together, and they wanted to meet with the civic officials. They had the mayor there. They had the mayor's staff there. And churches are good at doing this, and pastors are good at doing this. We get together, and here's the question. We go up to the mayor. Ed, I'm going to say you're, the, you're now the mayor of this wonderful facility right here. Mayor, how can we as the church help serve the needs, help serve you, and help serve the needs of the community? How many know that's a great question? We have a lot of issues in our communities. Let me just highlight a few of them. These are issues that most kids or most uh, communities have. We've got broken down homes that need help. We've got at-risk children. We've got child hunger. We have drug and alcohol abuse. We've got just loneliness in general. We have elderly shut-ins like this man Adolf with no one to look after them or care for them. And so they started asking the city officials, what can we do to help? And they started highlighting some of these things. Now, listen, because what happened next was profound. This is what the mayor of the city said. The majority of the issues that our community is is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Now think about the simplicity of what was just said. The simplicity of what was just said. He said, you know what? We don't need more government programs. We need better neighbors. We need people in communities loving people in their community. And if that were happening, most of the brokenness and dysfunction in our cities would be cured. Now, this was radical because here's the idea. When neighbors are in relationship with each other, how many know the elderly shut-in gets cared for? Because you know that there's an elderly shut-in next to you, and you love that person, and you visit them, and you make sure everything's okay. You know, I just have to share with, with we have an elderly couple in the home right here that originally owned the property, the Red, the red House, right next to ours. And uh, when Mr. Richards was getting up in age, his legs started getting weak, and we would get a call sometimes um, once a week, once every two weeks, can you please come over? My husband has fallen. Well, the reason she felt comfortable in having our family come into her home and help get her husband up on his feet again is because we spent years loving on them, probably trying to make up for when my son harvested those poppies uh, that I told you about last week. (laughs) We were trying to do everything that we could to turn a bad situation into a better situation. But the point was, we, we have relationship with them so much so that they could call us anytime during the day or night, and we would come, and we would help, and we would love them and assist them. How about that at-risk child that doesn't maybe have a father in the house? How about when there's a godly man in the community, and you're playing catch with your son, and you realize there's a young man across the street that doesn't have a father, that you invite him to come over, or maybe to go camping when your family goes camping? In other words, the child that's at risk, all of a sudden, is no longer at risk because there's people loving him or her and pouring into him or her. Uh, That's what the body of Christ does, and that's what the body of Christ does so incredibly well. 
But here's what this pastor said. He said, when the mayor left the meeting that day, our group of pastors was left to reflect on what was just shared. He said, I can remember sitting there, and before I could think, I just blurted out, am I the only one who was a little bit embarrassed? I mean, here we are asking the mayor how we can best serve the city, and he basically tells us it would be great if we could just get our people to obey the second half of the great commandment. In other words, the mayor invited a room full of pastors to get their people to actually obey Jesus. That's pretty ingenious. In fact, I just want to leave you with this thought as we get ready to go out and celebrate Memorial Weekend and probably see our neighbors, all right? The genius of Jesus is this. He figured out a way for the entire planet to be evangelized by simply challenging every single believer to love the people next to them, this side, across the street, to the left, to the right, above us, below us, depending on where you live. But if we were just intentional about loving neighbors, Jesus said he could use that love to build relationships, to serve people, and that their hearts would be open to these amazing people called Christians who are so good at loving, to where, how about this, they would find a place to belong with us, and in the process, they would come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But find a place where they belong, find a place where they were loved. You know, I, I share the story with a broken heart, but we actually had people who left our church one time because I was the youth pastor. That wasn't the direct reason, but... Um, they found out that less than perfect people, in fact, unsaved people, were coming to our youth group. And they didn't want their children to be contaminated. So they said, we're going to have to find another church. I said, I said, time out. How about if we got so secure that I actually believe that Jesus Christ in my kids had the power to transform young people who didn't know him. Instead of being worried that my kids would be tainted, sucked into the evil vortex of darkness. How about believing that light is greater than darkness? And that we should have lots of unsaved people here this morning and going, hey, these people are great. I was just at a block party with that guy. Now his wife, she's not that good at bags, but hey, um, she tried. And wouldn't it be great if because of the testimony of our love, I got to share one more story. I was, I was bragging on Elmer Embry this morning. I was, I was at my son's baseball game this weekend. He's got a guy on his team named Ray. And Ray, I found out from talk, because when I'm there, I'm on assignment. I'm connecting with the people. I'm talking to these people. I'm trying to get involved in their lives. Um, and, uh, and I'm an introvert, believe it or not, too. Not as bad as Andrew, but I am an introvert, all right? By the grace of God, I, I, I can stand here and do what I'm doing. Uh, I'd much rather hide somewhere. But anyway, um, while I'm talking to this person... I find out that her son and, and the dad are going to go out and play golf in between games. I said, oh, he's a golfer. Oh, yeah, 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 he loves to golf. 
Uh, in fact, he's on this golf league or whatever. And I said, oh, do you know Isaac Embry? Because Isaac, one of our own here, plays golf. And he said, oh, yeah, in fact, just last week, we were at this tournament, and we went out to eat with Elmer and Isaac, and they found out through the course of conversation that it happened to be our wedding anniversary, this lady's telling me. And so I knew as soon as she said that, I knew what was going to happen. I know what Elmer did. Elmer took the ticket and bought your anniversary dinner. Because I know, I know Elmer and Wendy. I know the kind of people that they are. They have a legacy of generosity. And she went on to tell me, she said, yeah, when they found out it was our anniversary, he picked up the tab and bought our, our dinner and blessed us. And I, I just said, yep. And then and they said, and you know what? When my son first started golf, they gave him his first set of clubs. And I just stood there. And I said, yeah, this is a time. See, whenever you hear good things about the people that go to your church, that's when you go, oh, yeah, they, they worship with us over at Living Stone. <laughs> and she said this. She said, I know. He told me all about the church, all right? In other words, he was bragging on all of you, all right? But here's the beauty of it. You don't think those acts of love and kindness don't spread like wildfire throughout the community? And here's what I love. I just know that Living Stones is developing a bigger and bigger and greater and greater reputation of, how about this, radical generosity and love for people. So that if there's something that comes to mind in your, you know, when people think, what's the word association when Living Stones pops up? I hope it's, you know what, the lady down the street, she goes to your all's church. That is the sweetest lady I ever met. My mom has been going through rehab on her wrist to get her wrist working again. And all the ladies that work in rehab are all going, oh, no, you can't leave us like they want something bad to happen to her, you know, break something else. (laughs) You can't leave us because in the short time that she's been there rehabbing, they've fallen in love with her. Now, this is what I love about my mom, because, you know, the lady would say, hey, how are you, Carol? How are you? And my mom was just honest. This was a rough week. Um, and we had a death in our family. This, this was a rough week. And my mom just said, well, I'm not doing so good. And she said, well, what's going on? I don't know if this lady's a believer or not. But she said, this has been a rough week. That lady gave my mama a big hug, and they cried there together in the rehab room. And then my mom, though, before she leaves, this late, now, you know, when we're vulnerable with our own needs, people realize they can be safe with their needs. So this lady started sharing something. My mom said, you know what? I will pray for you this week about that situation. And this lady, through tears, said, you would pray for me? Well, that is so sweet. Tears running down her face. Um, I mean, you know, the world's full of hurting, broken, lonely people. And sometimes, I'll just give you another little secret here. We're looking to find our ministry. (laughs) Sometimes I just laugh at this. Pastor, I'm looking for a platform for ministry. Great, go home. (laughs) Go home and love your neighbor. Love the people at work. Demonstrate the love of God to them. Preach through your lifestyle and your action and your care for them. Don't look for a platform. There's people all around that are just waiting for you. So let's be radical this week. Let's buy somebody's dinner this week. Bring somebody some flowers this week. Cut somebody's yard this week. 
I got to share with you, with Steve and Brittany, we had people go over to their house, clean the house from top to bottom, took down some of the baby's stuff so it wouldn't be an opportunity for the enemy just to shoot a dagger in there, all right? Clean. We landscaped the front of his house, all right? We planted shrubs. We put down mulch. We cut the grass. We weed whacked. How many of you know none of that stuff looks spiritual uh, through the typical religious lens, but it was so spiritual, Because what we did in a tangible way, what you did in a tangible way was said, we love you and we want to roll out the red carpet as you come back home. That there's a church family that loves you and cares about you. Come on, let's be, let's be daring this week. Let's be radical this week. You know, daring love is, is our motto in two words. And what's Living Stones about? Daring love. That's what we try to live up to. Let's do daring things. Let's do radical things, generous things to demonstrate the love of Jesus this week. Amen. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Amen. Yay, God. We do have marriage class at four today. Uh, and if you, it's a great, great series by the elders on uh, love and war. It's great. All right. Also, Jocelyn, where are you at? My little precious Jaws. Wave at me. Jocelyn is back in town from Seattle. Make sure you give her a hug. Are you getting Starbucks converted to Jesus Christ? All right. I want to see their marriage policy change, but you, you work on that. All right. You're right in the hub. You're right in the heartbeat of Starbucks. All right. I'm off track. Let's pray. Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you this week. Use us to love the people right next to us. Open amazing doors of opportunity. Help us to get connected. Help us to get out of our box. Help us to really, really build some bridges. And Lord, we want to do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Love you all. Have a great week. Great weekend.